Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The national champions have been crowned for both men's and women's college basketball with the Yukon Huskies making a little history, making a little claim as a blue bud, winning their fifth championship in 25 years. Yukon takes down San Diego State in a yawnish type of affair to win that championship, and LSU puts up 102 points over Iowa to win their national championship in Kim Mulkey's second year drama surrounding the entire affair from how one should celebrate to how coaches should act on the sidelines so much so that we record this show at the end of the week. And it's still a talking point for what's happened from that national championship, whether or not both teams should go visit the white house, who should do what it's just been crazy storylines for what happened in that game and how people feel about certain things in athletics. So definitely something we will get into on the college side. Of course, major league baseball has kicked off and is in full swing. People are incredibly excited about their baseball teams. Some not so much after getting off to poor early starts. Thankfully they play 162 of those things. So there's still plenty of time. And of course the NBA postseason race continues to heat up as we get down the final stretch for the final handful of games as to whom is going to get in in the Eastern and Western conferences. We're at a pretty decent point now in some of these seasons, although the NBA postseason is going to run for the next three or so years before they finally get to the NBA finals. That's kind of how it goes in that regard. We can start in order for how things sort of ended from the last time we spoke, and that would mean the women's basketball championship, which was on Sunday and was won by LSU again, scoring 102 points over Iowa in a game that unfortunately is marred by so many different things for the 102 to 85 final. It started with foul trouble for the stars on both teams early going where Caitlin Clark and co are sitting on the bench. And you're wondering why is this happening in the national championship? Everyone's tuned in to watch the stars of both teams play and foul trouble and poor refereeing, which is no surprise for how things have gone in the tournament kind of hurt that game in a sense. Iowa tried to cut it to seven late and we're seemingly right on the doorstep to try and make a comeback. But when you're down by that much and things are so far against you, it's so hard making a comeback in those situations. And LSU just kept their foot on the gas, a record scoring 102 points in the national championship game. So there was the game in general. And unfortunately the focus of said game was taken away from the women who won to the coach, to the situation at the end, to what happened a couple days afterward. The storylines for this game went crazy aside from what actually happened on the court, 
which we could start with. And then of course have to get into the other aspects of this because that fortunately or unfortunately became the story of this game. LSU though, wins its first ever national championship. Again, mentioning Kim Mulkey's second year there hoisting that trophy over the darlings of Iowa and Caitlin Clark, who a lot of people were rooting for just because of seeing Caitlin Clark all over college basketball for an entire season, making it to the national championship. Great for the sport. And the numbers backed it up. 10.9 million people watching this game on Sunday. Everybody was tuned in. Unfortunately, one of the storylines is having to watch an officiated game really go to the wayside and common fans were like, what the hell happens over here in women's basketball? What are we watching? That LSU takes down Iowa. What did you think of, of this result of that game and some of the performances that we were able to see from them? Well, first of all, Johnny, happy uh, holiday weekend, Passover and Good Friday and Easter to all our friends everywhere. And you know, let, let's back it up and start really with the semis because that was really the beginning of what was a great weekend of college basketball, uh, starting with the girls. Uh, on Friday night and the game that we had talked about, which was number one undefeated defending national champ, South Carolina and their terrific coach, Don Staley and their all American potential first pick in the draft um, against the best player in women's college basketball, who basically set the world on its ear. And that's Caitlin Clark. And, um, uh, in a, a widely watched semifinal game uh, after LSU uh, had won the first semi against Virginia Tech in a really topsy-turvy game where the game went three, four different ways and it looked like Virginia Tech was in complete control. And then LSU went on a run in the fourth quarter and just took the game away from them. We had me, we had uh, you know, Iowa against South Carolina, and Caitlin Clark put on a legendary show in a back-and-forth game, a knockdown dragout battle that was very physical, and a game in which Iowa decided to choose their poison, which was make Carolina beat them from outside, and they couldn't. They knocked down a few threes, but they completely dropped off of the outside shooters for South Carolina, including the point guard to the one aspect of it where Caitlin Clark almost not almost actually kind of shoot away the USC point guard as if to like, you know, we're not going to pay attention to her. We're going to let her shoot, which they did. And I said, she knocked down three, but three wasn't enough. And through the efforts of Clark and the center and supporting cast, they stunned the number one ranked undefeated team in the country. Caitlin Clark, I believe, at 41. Correct me if I'm wrong. And it's kind of the closest thing to Pistol Pete Maravich that we've seen. Uh, look him up, kids. In terms of the way she plays with incredible offensive skills and a great passer, wonderful ball handler, and will literally shoot from anywhere when she crosses half court. She was extraordinary. Carolina did not play their best game. Uh, it wasn't Don Staley's finest hour. And we now have a final of Iowa versus LSU, Big Ten, SEC, an LSU team, team that was beaten by South Carolina relatively handily. 
and the game everybody wanted to talk about, which unfortunately was on during the day on Sunday. I thought it was a blow to the solar plexus that that game was not on at night. I thought it was a huge disappointment that it was not on at night. But ESPN had Sunday Night Baseball. And ABC, I think, had uh, not America, whatever one it is, American Idol. Is that what it's called? American Idol. So because the regular programming, I guess they had played during the day. But it was still a massively watched game. And LSU played a fabulous game. They were the best team. They uh, made, and Iowa didn't play with exactly the same strategy, nor did they play with the same kind of defensive intensity. But again, they were the bigger team. Uh, and they got a lot of open shots, and they made them including the one girl who came off the bench and hit definitely 21 in the first half, shot the lights out, and that was basically the game. Caitlin Clark and her teammates put up a, uh, a yeoman's effort, but they could not dig out of that big hole. And unfortunately, the game was marred by what had to be a complete and total bastardization of the profession of refereeing the sport of basketball at the collegiate level or any level. And I saw Dan Dockich on uh, the next morning. He said it was Dan Dockich who was played for coach Knight, coached at Bowling Green, who said in all his years associated with college basketball, male or female, it was the worst officiated big game he has ever seen by far. And that described that this was total and complete negligence on the part of the three all-female officiating crew, the threesome. And that was also a big deal. It was the first time game was going to be, a final was going to be officiated by an all-female crew, and they were a nightmare. They were an absolute and total horror show. They butchered this game six different ways to Tuesday. Would not have made a difference in terms of who won the game in all probability. Um, you know, they, Caitlin Clark got beat up pretty good, and she's a tough kid. She wasn't taking anything. She got pushed around and she got called for a couple of offensive fouls, which were probably uh, calls that were right when they happened, but with the result of failure to call fouls against her. Uh, they let Kim Mulkey take over the game on the sidelines where she basically was headlocking one of the officials. They called the hideous technical foul on Caitlin Clark, which was just blasphemy. We understood the explanation of it because they had been warned earlier for delay of game when the center took the ball out of the net and, as teams often do, pushed it away uh, past the sideline. So it delays UCLA in taking the ball out of bounds after a bucket, so they got a delay of game warning. So that was the explanation that after a fourth foul call on the center, Caitlin Clark flipped the ball behind her back and out of bounds. So that was another delay of game, even though it was a dead ball. So she wasn't slowing anything down except the two free throws. So it resulted in four free throws, the ball back to LSU, and Caitlin Clark having to take a seat because that acted as her fourth foul. That was just mere and total and complete negligence on the part of these officials. It was a nightmare. And in terms of the way the game's supposed to be officiated, Kim Mulkey should have at least one technical foul for the way she was complaining on the sidelines. And you know, with all due respect to sportsmanship and black and white and however we want to look at this in college basketball, you know, the guys cannot look at each other the wrong way without getting a technical foul. 
without getting a taunting foul. You dunk and flex at the guy, you get a technical. You dunk and scream at the other guy. Angel Reese pulled the, you know, Pat Bev or whomever, NBA, you're too small routine after she scored against, of course, one of the smaller opponents. She's the biggest girl on the court. Um, after she scored, she gave the you're too small signal. That should have been a technical foul. It wasn't. Later on, she taunted Caitlin Clark towards the end of the game, foul line, with the, you know, can't see me. Is that it? Can't see me? Can't see you? Can't That's see right. Me? You can't see me, John Cena. Signal. No technical call there. Just an example of how these officials had this game go totally out of control. They let it get totally sideways between what they called, what they didn't call. It was, I mean, if you look up all the things you don't want to do as an official in any game, let alone a national championship game, you could write a book on what these officials did wrong because it was basically everything from not controlling the game to ticky-tack calls to, you know, not calling fouls where players were having their hands all over players to letting the coach completely. And, and, and I mean, what she was doing on the sidelines was a joke. You know, again, I love her as a coach. She is now the second coach. Uh, excuse me, the first coach in the history of women's college basketball to win national titles at two different schools. She is now behind um, Gina Oriam and Pat Summit because she now has uh, four national titles, three at Baylor and one at LSU. Uh, she gets, obviously, you know, her wardrobe from the Liberace estate, which is colorful, to say the least. And she was uh, you know, dressed to the nines for the finals. No, 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 uh, no uh, feathers, uh, no pink, but she had on the sequence. So she was Natalie attired. And then obviously you had, after a great game played by LSU, in which they were clearly the better team, you had the total and complete lack of sportsmanship shown by their star player, Angel Reese, who acted like a complete punk. I called her a punk-ass bitch on the air, and I will continue to call her a punk-ass bitch because that's the way she acted. We understand what the notion was behind it, to kind of like get back at Caitlin Clark, not that Louisville needs Angel Reese to take care of their business for them, but you know, chasing her down with the John Cena signal, the ring finger routine nonstop. You know, Aaron Donald didn't run after Joe Burrow when he almost dragged him down like a rag doll in the last play of the game and stick his finger in his face when he was showing, yeah, I got my championship ring. He did it to the crowd. That's fine. And, you know, you want to chase her down once to pay back what she did to you know, your girls in the SEC. Okay. Understood. Give her some medicine. But to continue on chasing her around the court and just showing a complete lack of sportsmanship. It's Bush league. It's absolutely and positively poor sportsmanship. It's you taking away from your team. 
You made it all about you. And then you got into the press conference with some cockamamie story about it's for girls like me. And y'all don't complain about her, but you complain about me and people like Stephen A. Smith on the sister's side. And it becomes racial. When it was all about one girl acting like a shitheel, doing everything she could to make it all about her when she wasn't even the best player on the floor for her team. And it was a complete embarrassment. And if she was my daughter, I would have taken her over my knee. If she was my player, I would have grabbed her by the ear and said, sit the fuck down. And you go over and you apologize to that entire team. You go in that locker room and you apologize. The greatest thing that could have happened to me would have been when she was in the process of doing it for the third or fourth or fifth time, if Caitlin Clark had been quick enough to turn and stick out her hand, what would Angel Reese have done? Would she have shaken her hand? Would she have been so dumbfounded she wouldn't have known what to do? Would she have turned and walked away? Would she have turned and walked away? That's what I would have loved to have seen. And obviously she didn't think of it. Maybe even if she did, she didn't do it. And Angel Reese just goes on now, the tour, the magical uh, talk, radio, television, worst take, uh, Coach K, I am athlete, racial tour, making it all about race, making it about the first lady. We're going to go to Michelle and Barack's that she had a first name basis with them because they're black. Okay. And she slapped us in the face. And even though Dr. Biden apologized, I don't accept your apology. We wouldn't have been invited if we lost if, because we're black. You invited Iowa because, uh, want to invite Iowa because they, because they're white. And my question to you is, well, would you have said the same thing if under all the same circumstances that was First Lady Michelle Obama? They said, boy, that was such a good game. It'd be so great for women's sports. What they did, let's invite them both. I wonder what your response would have been then. All that is pure conjecture. The same way it's pure conjecture and what Angel Reese is saying about the First Lady. Was it a silly thing to do? Absolutely. Was it? Racially motivated, I'll take the odds. I'll lay the odds, okay? I'll lay the odds. Just when I was about to say, all right, it's over, water under the bridge, Caitlin Clark went on, had no problem with it, handled it totally professionally. Then this girl makes her comments about the White House. Do me a favor. You have, you have disgraced this. You, you have set back everything that this weekend accomplished. You've taken it, the bull by the horns, and you've shit all over it. All right? You've taken everything that that was great that you and your teammates and these other teams accomplished, and you shit all over it. Shame on you. That's what you did for girls like you. You disrespected everybody because you got no respect for anybody. You're a total tool. And you want to be treated, you know, like the guys get treated? I get to call you shithead. Because the shitheads that are guys and the shitheads that are girls. 
and you step to the front of the line. Not only are you no angel, you're a total and complete tool. That's my take. Kim Mulkey is an incredible basketball coach. You mentioned that she's now third all-time in national championships with four. Just to refresh people's memories for Pat Summit and Gino Ariema being ahead of her. Gino has 11 and Pat has eight, <laughs> by the way, just in case it was like, oh, how close is it? Is she can-? Eight and 11, just preposterous to say aloud any time that they're mentioned, as it always has been. Phenomenal Hall of Fame coaches. I have an incredible dislike for Kim Mulkey as a person. From how she handled the Art Bryles situation while she was at Baylor, from how she most recently handled the Brittany Griner situation, her player at Baylor, before the Russia situation where she told her while she was a player, don't tell anybody that you're a lesbian. We don't want that to get out. To not having any comments when people asked, hey, should they bring her home? Do you have any words of support for Brittany Griner? She was obviously so important to you when you were her coach. No, couldn't be bothered. This same person that will win a national championship on a Sunday and be sure to say on national television and to do this on Palm Sunday of all days. Yes, let's clutch our Catholic pearls and thank the Lord All glory to he for this journey, getting me back to Louisiana to win this national championship. And yet, how you act or what you say and how you carry yourself as a person speaks all the volumes that's needed. Lord and religion aside, she spent, coaching-wise now, more time on the court than Caitlin Clark did. She was just perched Squatting like she does on the court, barking out plays, encouragements, yells at the officials, and they did nothing about it. All game. Get her off the floor. Then we get a couple different replays, and and God knows how many there were total. Bumping in the officials, screaming at the officials. Caitlin Clark throws the ball behind her back to where the official usually is standing. Of course, she ha- this woman happens not to be there in that instance. So the ball goes into the camera well, technical foul, and she's over there yelling outside, technical foul, tear up, tear up. Calm down, man. You spend some of Sunday thinking to yourself, who would want to play for this person? But then the game ends. They host the national championship trophy over their heads, and you realize, ah, that's why they want to play for Kim Mulkey. She wins. And players can obviously put maybe personal views aside because she's a damn good basketball coach and she'll coach you hard. And that's what you need to win. She's not worried about any, uh, anything else outside of the court aside from this is what we need to do to win a national championship. And it took two years to do it. So there is credit to be said for her winning a national championship. No question again. But I had a hard time watching the Kim Mulkey is vindicated, history coming back home. It only took two years. What an incredible coach. Everybody all smiles when they're interviewing her. When just months ago, the story was completely different and the narrative was completely different. 
when it was about off the court issues, real life issues. People's opinions changed real fast once she was hoisting that trophy over her head. Very forgetful from what happened just months ago from what people were saying on national TV about it. I can't believe she won't make a comment. And now, Kim Mulkey's a national champion. Hard to separate the two sometimes. It's hard to separate the two sometimes with what happened after the game and at the end of the game. Because there are people in this world that view what happened between Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark as a racial thing and fuck those people. For all of it. Anytime that becomes your first thought and you view it simply with, I can't believe she would do that to Caitlin Clark. Fuck you, man. And you're not on Twitter. Good for you. <laughs> we always say some of the stuff that people were saying immediately made this a racial issue. Why? Why are we going there? Well, if you're going to say that about Angel Reese, how come you weren't saying it about Caitlin Clark when she made that gesture against Louisville? You're a racist. Slash the people that actually were making racist comments. What the fuck are we doing? I viewed what happened as a former athlete, and we've talked about this before. I love taunting in sports. There's a time and place for it, though. Just kind of read the room when you're doing it. But I love it in the right instance, in the right time period. The first example I can remember was on the Chicago Bulls, one of their finals championship tapes back when we had VHS. Remember when Michael Jordan dunked over Matumbo and he just gave him a quick finger wag while he was backpedaling down the court? Just a quick one. And the announcer, oh, Michael gives the finger because they were talking about him getting blocked by Matumbo and he had never been able to dunk over him and it was kind of a running gag. And when it finally happened, he just gave him a quick, well, tit for tat. I love tit for tats in the right instance. Caitlin Clark obviously plays with a ton of emotion as do a lot of athletes. And I love it. I love when they go after each other. I hate that in the NFL, guys get flagged for looking at each other wrong after making incredible plays. In the heat of the moment, you take one wrong look at a guy, flag. Why? He didn't do anything wrong. He just looked at him. Hey, man, I just made an incredible play on you. That's sports. We've been doing that our whole lives. You do that on the playground. You give a little, how was that? Do it to me now next. It's one of the best parts about sports. And remember, with the guys, it's detectable foul. The guys get away with nothing now, which makes zero no, sense in to me. In college, it's a t- the guys, it's a technical Immediately. Foul. You'd be lucky to even do something toward your bench, towards your fans. They'll tee you up for that. You're not even doing it toward the opponent. Or how about in college football, where now horns down, which obviously anybody playing against Texas does, Directed at a player or a coach for Texas is a flag. But if you do horns down to, say, your sideline or the fans, then that's okay. Just don't do it to a player. What are we doing? (laughs) Have some fun with these children's games. So I love that aspect of sports, and I love everything that goes into 
that part of it. What I didn't love about what Angel Reese did is it was almost done in such a personal way where the game is out of hand. You've scored the most points in national championship history. You're up 17 or 15, whatever it was. You've dominated. You've won. Your team is celebrating as they should. And your only thought is, let me track down this girl to make sure she sees me taunting her ass again. And again. And again. I already did it. It was on and TV. Again. She saw me do it. To Caitlin Clark's credit, she ignored it. She didn't give it any time of day, which is really the only way to respond to a taunt. Okay. I see you, but I'm not going to see you if you know what I mean. To track her down and do it again, it was kind of like, come on, man. We get it. She gets it. We got it. It's a shame that, like, that's your first thought. Like, I got to make sure she sees this instead of let me go celebrate with my team. That's not a race thing. That's just a player thing. You know, if you score over her and you want to do it, absolutely. If you want to do the too small thing, absolutely. Even though it should be a technical foul. Right. But to kind of like force it in that situation, I didn't really like. As a competitor, and I've been in situations like that where somebody does it to you and you look at them like, come on, man, really? We get it. You won the game. Go celebrate. Leave me alone. What are you doing? So that was disappointing. And then it got completely blown out of proportion. And as another note, you mentioned it as well. The adult in the room doesn't get the blame for any of this. What about the head coach? How she carries herself? You don't think that players might look at what Kim Mulkey's doing and say, well, she's going to be brash and taunt and be loud, etc." cetera. What's, what's wrong if I do that? And after the game... Sometimes you'll see this happen where somebody taunts or they celebrate or they dunk late, you know, when the game is out of hand and they kind of put up the white flag and somebody shoots a a half court three and makes it or something. The first thing the coach does in the handshake line is go to the other coach. Hey, that's that's on us. We saw that happen with FAU, did we not? Exactly. That's on us. We're going to go address that. They apologize after the game. It happens time and time and time again. And the coach immediately, immediately was apologizing. That's not who we are. That's not who uh, the program is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We see it all the time. This isn't, we're not just coming up with this on the fly. This is just what happens. Most often than not, a coach will take the blame for something like that. Do we get that after the game? No. Kim Mulkey's not going to be bothered with something like that. There was, was a pathetic. lot of stuff that was disappointing about the situation. It, 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 it was pathetic. You know, F- Frank Isola, who also thought the conduct was in- incredibly poor sportsmanship, was being called a racist all over your vast wasteland. We've all played on the playground. We've played pickup. You play in high school. Whenever you hoop. Anywhere. Indeed. You could taunt all you want. Absolutely. And it's welcomed. But just keep in the back of your mind who you're taunting 
and when you're taunting. And I'm sure you, like me, have been on courts and played in games where it did lead to, if not all-out brawls, a bit of a ruckus. Yeah, a bit. Okay. If you did what Angel Reese did during or after a five-on-five, even if it was the last game and you're going home, next time you come to the court, people aren't going to forget. And the first time you go down for a layup, they'll remind you about what happened last time. People don't mess around when you play pickup ball. Anywhere. But it's part of it. You take it, you dish it, you take it, etc. It's part of it. But there, to me, there's a time and a place for it. I didn't think the way it went down at the end of the game was the time for it. For how long it took to have happen where you had to chase her down to make sure she saw what you were doing. We get it. We got it. And now look what happens because the story is not 10.9 million people, 12 million peak. One of the most incredibly watched women's tournaments, finally well-deserved people getting involved and, Oh, they can play three years in women's basketball. Caitlin Clark's coming back. These LSU girls are coming back. Paige Beckers is coming back at UConn. South Carolina's coming back. Yeah. Now, Let's go. But about Angel Reese. It all got lost from Angel Reese and Kim Mulkey. To Kim Mulkey. And to Kim Mulkey. The White House. It's too bad that that's sure. the last sure. storylines. A week later. No, it will go away. Hopefully, if Angel Reese, for a change, shuts up. But she won't. She won't. Because she's taking the tour. Showing her pretty face. She's a beautiful girl. And I mean that completely complimentary. She's a gorgeous girl. Terrific player. Not an all-time great player, but she's, she's a very good player. She's not, you know, Sylvia Fowkes. She's not Simone Augustus of LSU fame. She's not Lisa Leslie. She's not Rebecca Lobo. Uh, you know, the, 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 some of the renowned um, female bigs, you know, f- female players, uh, Brittany Griner, you know, uh, you know, female post players. She's not in that category, but she's, she's a really good player. Uh, I was shocked that she was named, uh, was she named the most outstanding player of the tournament? I, I mean, yeah. how that wasn't Caitlin Clark, it's beyond me. She wasn't even the most valuable player in the game. You know, her teammate was who came off the bench and just drained three after three after three. She had five for five in the first half uh, from three-point range. The last one she threw in off the glass. Outrageous. She was fabulous. And seven for, uh, she finished seven for eight after starting seven for seven. After not scoring in the final four, right. the Elite Eight, Sweet 16, the round of 32, 22 points. Oh, I'm sorry. She, she, had, she had nine in the, the round of 32. Michael. She lights it up. 22 points. That's the difference of the game. And I mean, that, that should have been the story and how well her team shot the ball because they did what South Carolina could not do. They made, and again, Iowa did not play them with the same total disregard for the jump shot. Um, but they gave up a lot of jump shots not wide open 15 footers, but a ton of open threes, some not so open and great shot making to their credit. And a team that didn't make a lot of threes 
And when the opportunity was there, they did indeed make Iowa pay. Now, Iowa was probably a little, I don't want to say gassed, but, you know, they had, and, you know, LSU had a tough time in their semifinal too. So I'm not going to shortchange them. Again, they were, they were down going to the fourth quarter against Virginia Tech. And it looked like Tech had indeed taken control of that game. And LSU just overpowered them and took it away from them in the fourth quarter. Remember, folks, the girls play quarters, uh, as in high school. Uh, for some reason, the guys still play halves. Uh, but LSU was the better team for all four quarters against Iowa, and they were the deserved victors and champion. And unfortunately, what transpired from their star player, I believe, took drastically away of everything that was accomplished this weekend by all four teams. I agree. It was an unfortunate line of stories that followed. And as course, of course, as we know in sports media, once you start fanning the flames to something that's going to get clicks and views, it's just going to go crazy. No, it's the pitiful climb on the bandwagon sports media, which, which is becoming a vast wasteland with no one with any kind of guts to tell it like it is. No one to sit there like yours truly or Frank Isola to have the guts to say that's not acceptable behavior to me. Because if you do so, you're a racist. And, And to me, what Caitlin Clark did was not acceptable. That's not acceptable to me. But if you want to say, you know, it's okay for her to do the one taunt and it's okay for the Angel Reese to do the one taunt, okay, that's your opinion. I don't like either one of them doing it. I don't like the white player doing it. I don't like the black player doing it. I don't like white to black, black to white, black to black, white to white, purple to purple, green to brown. I don't like it. I think it's Bush, but it's okay now. But again, you know, uh, if I if I lightly slap you in the face, I don't think that gives you the right to punch me as hard as you can ten times. And that's to me basically what it was. And nothing's going to change my mind, whether it be you know the Prince of Pontification or any other crap-ass talk show host who's forgotten more sports than I, you know, who I forgot more sports than, no, excuse me, and watch more sports than they could ever dream of watching. They've been watching sports since before they were born. There is still some notion of sportsmanship and decency out there, or in my opinion, should be. Celebrations have certainly taken off. There's no question about that. For the smallest of feats, it seems. You hit a three-pointer when you're you're down six and you're doing the bow and arrow celebration or you dunk over somebody and you're down 10 and you're doing the pat in the top of the head or you hit a three and you throw up the three fingers to the side of the head like mellow 
everybody's got to copy everybody and everything involves a celebration now instead of just score and run down and play defense. Well, those days are gone. Okay. Those days are gone. So uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm past that because if you're going to bitch about every celebration, you're going to bitch nonstop. And even the old man has gotten a little bit past that because I realize, you know, it, it, it's here to stay. But again, there is a line. There is, you know, a notion still of sportsmanship and respecting the opponent and not being a total douchebag. <laughs> and Angel Reese failed on all three counts. Strike one, strike two, strike three. <laughs> if you're going to be a douchebag, expect the backlash. Embrace it. There's a lot of dicks that play basketball and they, they know it. They embrace the villain role. They know they're assholes. If they're on your team, you love these dudes. Everybody has one on their team, a guy that you love playing with, but if he's on the other team, you hate him. That's sports too. Every team has a handful of those guys. If you want to do that and act that way, please go ahead. But if somebody's not happy with it, you can't blame them, can you? Anyway. To the men's side of things, which clearly didn't have as much excitement or headline power because UConn was so dominant this NCAA tournament. I think they trailed for five minutes and 22 odd seconds all tournament long and four plus minutes of that came against San Diego State in the first half. When you look at some of the stats that they put up, absolutely phenomenal run of dominance through their opponents. Their non-conference schedule this year, how much they've beaten those teams by, how they fared against the spread for anybody that cares about such things. You could argue in this tournament, they didn't play the most competitive teams necessarily by rank or by record, but you got to play who's in front of you and you got to win those games. And they did so with seeming ease through all six culminating with a 76-59 win over San Diego State. They're up by 12 at half. San Diego State went like eight minutes in the first half without scoring. Just a miserable basketball team, and they have been all tournament long. They're a defensive team. They go on stretches where they just forget how to score, and in basketball, that's somewhat important. They cut it to closer in the second half to five, but then UConn always had an answer and they end up slipping away again for their fifth championship in 25 years. Dan Hurley back in the Big East, making UConn again a titan of that conference. It's amazing to think about what the school has done because there's been so many downtrodden years in that 25-year span where they've got losing records, they don't make the tournament, you forget about them. And then when they do win, it's like, oh yeah, they are a pretty good basketball team. So they're back on top of the men's side, of college basketball and well-deserved this year because there was no better team in this tournament. You could safely say that with what they were able to do. Not close. No one, no one was even in the same breath with UConn in this tournament and their, their season was really, I mean, it had, they had played three seasons. Remember folks, the, the first portion of the year, they were undefeated in number one. 
and then they hit a skid in conference. Um, they lost a series of games all in conference. They did not lose a game outside of the Big East this year. And then they got back on track the last portion of the season. They did not win the Big East tournament. And then they got a four seed and basically demolished everything in their wake. Literally. And they got some breaks in terms of the matchups. But they destroyed every team they played. It was not close, no matter who it was. And you watched all the calls. And you looked at them from St. Mary's to, uh, you know, obviously Gonzaga to the finals. And it, it was a similar scenario throughout. UConn's offense was good enough, not spectacular, but versatile and deep enough to score in varying ways. Their defense was brilliant, and they were more physical, more athletic, and deeper than anybody they played. And never in all my years, I guess with the possible exceptions of very early on, with some of the totally and completely dominant UCLA teams with then Luel Cinder and Bill Walton when I was a kid. Never in my mind, in all my years of watching this tournament, has an NCAA final been so predictable. What happened in this game was pretty much exactly what anybody and everybody thought was going to happen. San Diego State, despite their effort, and their brilliant comeback win in the semis, which was incredibly exciting, you know, uh, you know, upsetting the David, even though they weren't Goliath, but not even upsetting, but the huge comeback against Boca Raton's, uh, Boca Raton's finest uh, from South Florida, uh, you know, Florida Atlantic, who had a 13-point lead. And that great comeback and the buzzer beater to go to the finals. And that wasn't a pretty game. Ton of fouls called. Ton of missed free throws. It wasn't a thing of beauty. But the finish was fabulous. And it was March Madness at its finest. But you knew going into this game, well, you know, here's what's probably going to happen. San Diego State's going to play their their brand of of physical, hard-nosed defense like they did. But they're not going to be able to find enough ways to score and UConn's deeper and bigger and um, got more offensive firepower, even though not brilliant and sometimes not pretty, but again, more versatile offensively. And, you know, San Diego state will probably struggle to shoot 35%, which they did. And they'll probably shoot around 25% from three, which they did. And UConn will shoot in the low 40s, which they did. And, you know, in the 30s, which they did from three. And UConn will win by about 15. You know, after San Diego State will probably make a run somewhere to get back in it, which they did. And UConn will win by 15 or so, which they did. It it was that, that game went exactly as expected. And the team that was the dominant team throughout the entire tournament was the dominant team in the finals. This was a tournament where anyone 
from a plethora of teams, more than I ever could have remembered, could have won the tournament. And a four seed was thoroughly dominant and played totally and completely superior to anyone else in this tournament. UConn's level of play in this tournament was like they were an unabashed, not just number one seed, but top seed in the tournament looking down at everyone else. That's how dominant they were from beginning to end. Kudos to Danny Hurley, who I've never been a big fan of, a constant referee baiter uh, on the sidelines who never shuts up, seems to have mellowed a bit. They're going to be really good for years to come. They got another big class coming in. We'll see if success has mellowed Danny on a continual basis. It would be nice. Congratulations to the son of the great Hall of Famer, Christopher Mad Dog Russo, who was up on the ladder. Timmy Russo, as the graduate assistant for UConn, helping cut down the nets. What an incredible feeling that must be, you know, for a 23-year-old young man who is starting his coaching career, wants to get into coaching, when you're the graduate assistant, part of the staff for a Division I national champion. I said to Chris the other day, it still gives me goosebumps 20 years ago just being a graduate of Syracuse. So imagine what it must feel like being on that ladder and being a part of that. It may be the greatest moment of your life. You may live to be 100, and that may be the greatest moment of your life. And you want to know something? That's still a hell of a life. If that's the best there is... That's damn good. Right. So so congratulations uh, to Tim Russo, uh, graduate assistant, uh, Connecticut Huskies, 19, excuse me, 2022-2023 NCAA Division I champs. And now they join Kentucky and Indiana. Now that can't be right. Kentucky's got more than five. They join Indiana and Duke. Indiana and Duke, I believe, with five national titles. Yeah, I think the Baron. I think the Baron alone had five. Uh, Coach Rob, I think it's your Duke squad now because Duke hadn't won it before Coach K. He's got five. Duke has five, and Indiana has five, and the University of Connecticut now has five. Pains me to say it. Former league mate in the old Big East. They got five. Five in 25 years, more than any other program. Extraordinary. North Carolina, Duke, they had three. Kentucky. Not five. Extraordinary. UCLA's at eight. Or I'm sorry, UCLA's at 11. Kentucky's at eight. North Carolina's eight. at six. And then Duke, Indiana, UConn with fives. Kansas, oh, Kansas. at four. 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 Yeah. Villanova at three, and then many at two. Including mm-hmm. San Francisco on this list. Good yep. for them. Back to back with Bill Russell. Yeah. Needless to say, it was quite the snooze fest for most times, and to no surprise, the lowest rated game 
ever, I believe, on TV for a national championship. Makes sense. And thank God we put it on at 920 Eastern time so that by the time the confetti was hitting the court, it was well at midnight. Why? (laughs) What are we doing? Who do you want watching these things? It's going to be a snooze fest in general. Who's staying up to watch that thing? I I just, I don't get why, why it can't tip at 8.15 is beyond me. I just don't understand. I just don't understand. Hit the airwaves at 8 o'clock, little pregame, tip at 8.15. Come on, man. Makes no sense. And, 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 you know, I'm not saying it for me. I watch regardless. But you know, why are we waiting till 9.15? 9.15 or thereabouts in the East? Sorry, but what, what's the big deal if it's 6.15 or 5.15 in the West? I right. mean, really? They're not watching anyway. And you know, the San Diego San, State unless, fans unless that are watching. San, unless it's San Diego State. And they were watching no matter what time it was. Right. They were pre-gaming since 11. <laughs> it doesn't matter what time you put the game on. They were going to find a way to watch it or go to it. Ridiculous. So we get on our soapbox. So that that's, that's where we live. That's it. That puts a bow on college basketball. And soon a bow is going to be put on the national basketball association season. Regular season. Regular, Regular season. season. As you said, we go into the summer with the postseason. Uh, yes. We're nowhere close to getting to the end, folks. Don't get too excited yet. But the fascinating thing is we're nowhere close to deciding yet who's getting what seed and who's playing in what game with two left. Still a lot can happen. It's not even worth throwing our predictions out because things can change so quickly. What we can say, though, for all our fellow Los Angeles Lakers brethren, is that they at least clinched a spot to get into the play. At least we've gone where no one thought for the most part we would go. So we won't belabor this point uh, because, you know, some have been a little critical of our belaboring uh, our Lakers uh, to becoming a dominant portion of the show for a team that has struggled all year long. So we'll just say that the Lakers are finally somewhat healthy and have made it to, at the worst-case scenario, the play-in tournament. And we'll see what happens in the next couple of games, which is intriguing. Uh, Anthony Davis has been playing fantastic. LeBron James is back. Pretty much all the pieces are relatively healthy, including D'Angelo Russell um, and the supporting cast they brought in from all across the league, which has reshaped the face of this team in a positive way. Um, so Rob Polinka, kudos to him. And we don't know where they're going to wind up yet. Sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, could be even be 10th. But at least you know, they are in the play-in. Would love the buy, which is still possible, but unlikely. Some things have got to happen, um, which probably won't, but you never know. But at least they're in a position which very many people thought they would not be able to get to to at least be in the mix for what is going to be a long, arduous first play-in and then postseason NBA playoff schedule. 
storylines will be a vast next time we speak to our listeners because of some of those teams, the teams that get in, the teams that end up in a play and the teams that miss the postseason. Oh, it's going to get juicy. It already is. Well, the doubt, it's going to get the, better. The, doubt, the, 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 the really, to me, only, I shouldn't say, oh, but the, the, the juiciest scenario now, at least from my perspective, is you know, what happens in Dallas with Mark Cuban's club if they don't, in fact, make it. And they are in dire straits. They still have a chance to make it to the 10th spot, but it is a minimal chance. And, you know, the franchise record, Kyrie Irving is an unrestricted free agent. So who knows what's going to happen there? We know they're not winning a championship. That's for sure. Uh, But is there going to be a marriage between Luca and Kyrie? Is there going to be a parting of the ways for Kyrie? What are they going to offer him? Does he want to stay? We know he wants to be a Laker. You know, you and I don't want him. Doesn't seem like the Lakers want him. I sure as a hope not. Uh, we, we've taken this route before with a plus 30 all-world point guard. How'd that work out? And this one's injury-prone. This one sometimes just doesn't want to play. This one's got a poisonous attitude, even though he's got an incredible skill set. No more LeBron when it comes to running the show on the personnel. We don't want him. Who wants him? Where is Kyrie even going to wind up? That's really going to be, to me, the biggest story of the offseason is what's going to happen in Dallas. You know, Larry Hagman, the return thereof, and who shot JR? What's happening with this club that everybody had such high hopes for last year and that let Jalen Brunson walk to the Knicks in free agency, who had a fabulous season for the Knicks and has guided them to the playoffs and had a very good season. The team, he's had a great season. And they swing the big deal for Kyrie with the Nets under 500 on the outside looking in from the play-in with two, three games to go in a very, very difficult circumstance with, I thought I saw a 6% chance to make the play-in. When you crunch all the numbers with the analytics and the probabilities, I think I saw 6%. Um, that's, I don't think, what Mark Cuban was hoping for. So to me, that's going to be the biggest story once the dust settles on who's in and who's not. And it will a story. it will be a story that will start early if they, in fact, don't make the play-in. And then, you know, the defending champs uh, who sorely miss, sorely miss Andrew Wiggins, who was such a huge part of their success last year to get to the finals and then to beat the Celtics, who has been out of the lineup for probably about um, ballparking at six months or so. Um, they desperately need him back to have any kind of chance to make a run at defending, regardless of how great Steph is, because they don't win last year without the great play of Andrew Wiggins. They ain't winning this year without the great play of Andrew Wiggins. So we'll see what happens with Golden State, 
Um, the East, Milwaukee has flexed their muscles. Uh, they're healthy. It looks like it looks like Middleton is about as healthy as going to be as he's going to be, and they are big. They are deep. They've got the best player in the league, but in my mind, they don't have the MVP of the league. My order, for whatever it's worth, I don't have a vote. I should have one. My MVP order, and let's not bother with any more than three because it's three and everybody else. You know, if you want to put Jason Tatum fourth, fine. Knock yourself out. It's fine. He was the early leader. He's been blown off the podium uh, where it's not close. My order is as follows. Uh, Joel Embiid has overtaken Jokic. And Giannis has also overtaken Jokic. I go Embiid, Giannis, Jokic. That's my one, two, three. What say you, young new report? I'm the same. It's obviously changed throughout the season. I know Jokic has gotten incredible pull for it to win three in a row. I haven't really been on that bandwagon. History aside, as Nick Wright will loudly scream, how MVP votes have gone in the past and who wins back-to-back and there's no precedent for winning three, especially if you don't win anything in the postseason, et cetera, et cetera. This is who Jokic is. I mean, you can't fault the guy for going out and getting triple-doubles every other night. But I think Embiid has slightly overtaken Giannis, who has slightly overtaken Jokic. And that's been exciting because for a, a pretty decent portion of the season, it was this dude's going to win three in a row. But it's changed. Good for Embiid. It's about time. <laughs> you know? and, 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 they're, and they're all terrific players. They're all... Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're great players. They're legitimately three great players. All in their own right. All bigs. Um, all vastly different in terms of their styles, which makes it such an interesting uh, argument because their statistics don't truly uh, define who they are position-wise. So that's what makes it such an interesting debate. But you know, you can talk all your the analytics, and the plus minuses, and you know the percentages of you know, you know average points per possession and all that bullshit. All right, and watch the game, both sides of the ball. The best player, most valuable player this year, from beginning to end, full body of work, is Embiid. Slightly over Giannis, who is the best player in the league on the best team in the league. And then Jokic, who is incredibly valuable, plays a totally different and unique style for a seven-footer, but is incredibly effective, is the great stat stuffer, is Mr. Analytics, uh, but has faded a little bit down the stretch, both he and his team. And it is a full season award. And the MVP for the full season is Joel Embiid. Buckle up, folks. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. 
For my partner, the great John Tinyland, I am Renato, AKL from White Plains. Thanks to our buddy John Birch. I want to say a specific hello to Always Listens. And John and I had lunch today. He was very complimentary about the show. Uh, you're the one. John, we love you. Thank you for listening. It's great seeing you today. Until next week, have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.